It's not that feeling bad is bad. It's that when we're feeling bad, if we can reach for the next best feeling or the next best thought. And that reaching is a very proactive way of guiding ourselves up the scale. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I'm about to give you my number one top secret to making a great podcast. It's called Keep Your Guest Happy. How do I do that? Every time someone walks in the studio, I make them some peak tea crystals. And I take this stuff all the time myself. That's how I know how good it is. These teas are crystallized so that they have 12 times the antioxidants and flavor of any other tea. They're super easy to use. So the caffeinated versions that I'll use earlier in the day are the jasmine, mint green. They've got an amazing fermented pu'er green tea. Then at night, the more chill ones are the hibiscus and ginger. So depending on where the vibe is with the guest, I'll make them one of these teas. And I kid you not, every single time I hand a cup of tea to my guest, they're like, oh my God, this is the best tea I've ever had. Little do they know, it actually is the best tea that they've ever had. It's got highly concentrated polyphenols that support immunity and balance microbiome. And it's just really good for concentration and focus. So I like to get my guest happy, but also focused and ready for a good conversation. So not only do I drink this tea all the time, and trust me, I'm not a tea guy. I've never really drank tea. I have like a huge cupboard full of it and it just sits there because mainly because it's so inconvenient to make. This tea, I just put hot water in a cup or cold water in a glass. I make an instant hot or cold tea and it's super easy and they're great for travel. So I'm a huge fan. Here's how you can get your hands on some Peak Tea Crystals. Go to peaktea.com. That's spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A, peaktea.com. If you enter the code LUKESTORY at checkout, you'll save 10% off. However, that 10% is not good for the Pu'er teas because they're very expensive and rarefied. But all the other teas are amazing. And you can get 10% off with the code LUKESTORY at peaktea.com. Again, that's spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A, peaktea.com. And the code is LUKESTORY. You will thank me later. Trust me. If you were lucky enough to hear episode 175 with Carly Stein, then you're going to perfectly understand why I'm so excited to tell you about Beekeepers Naturals, the best bee product company in the world. If you missed 175, I'm going to encourage you right now to go back and check it out. Now, I've been into bee products for a long time. I take propolis, the bee pollen, the honey, the royal jelly, all of that. But it's kind of a guessing game when you go to the health food store to figure out which one's the best, which one's really organic. Does that even mean anything? Turns out not so much in many cases. But when it comes to a company like Beekeepers Naturals, you know that you are getting the most pure and most potent bee products on the planet and that the bees are being protected and taken care of. Now, a lot of people just use bees for their amazing products and kind of abuse them, to be honest. Not to get crazy here. I mean, I know it's only a little bee, but they're a crucial part of our entire ecology. 
on planet Earth. So not only taking from the bees is important, but giving back to the bees is equally as important. And Beekeepers Naturals does that. But more than anything, just straight up, they make the best tasting and the most powerful bee products on the market. So I'd really love for you to get over there and check them out. You can find them at beekeepersnaturals.com. That's beekeepersnaturals.com. If you use the code LIFESTYLIST, you will save 20% off your order. If you're just starting out over there and you don't know what to get, I'm going to uh, recommend that you try Bee Powered because that's got all of the superfoods from the hive in one jar. It's delicious. It's super potent. And I'm on this stuff uh, almost every day. I can't have it every day because then I go through a jar in like four days because I'm just nuts like that. But this stuff is just absolutely insanely powerful and pure and it's tested for pesticides and toxins. It's clean, it's legit. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, use the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15%. Well, happy new year, everyone. I am thrilled to bring you this New Year's Eve episode featuring our guest, Gabby Bernstein. Now, this one was recorded at my place in Los Angeles, but shortly after this recording, I had the opportunity to see Gabby speak at a tune out in Atlanta, Georgia, where I was also one of the speakers and recording a bunch of other podcasts, which are going to drop on you in 2020. But I've got to say this conversation was fascinating and fun and hearing Gabby speak and watching her do her thing in front of a huge crowd was truly a joy. So I'm thrilled to bring you Gabby Bernstein, who is the number one New York Times bestselling author of The Universe Has Your Back and has written five additional bestsellers. And this year, she put out her new book, Super Attractor, and that's what most of this conversation is based on. But before we jump into this conversation with Gabby, I want to invite you to check our next show, which is going to be our first show of 2020 with none other than Shaman Durek, bringing the spirit world down to earth. Make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you enjoy this episode with Gabby Bernstein, please do me a New Year's solid and share it with a couple friends. It's really easy to do so. You can take a screen grab and put it on your Instagram stories, or you can just share the link via email with some of your family members, especially uh, maybe the family members that are a little harder to get along with. If they hear Gabby's message, they might just become cooler. Just a guess. But no, seriously, I would be honored if you shared this episode with Gabby and next week's episode with Shaman Durek with a couple of friends. It's a really great way to support the show and bring us into 2020 with a bang. Here's what we talk about in this conversation. Gabby's past issues with addiction and what gave her the courage to go public, the root causes of addiction, other issues people must work through in order to maintain sobriety and some of the issues that Gabby's still working on how kundalini yoga has supported Gabby's sobriety and personal growth, Gabby's thoughts on EMDR and tapping for healing trauma, the best way to deal with internet trolls, the journey of taking three years to conceive her child and the deep postpartum depression that followed and how she used meds to get through it, how she and her husband keep the romance alive while running a business together, why it's important to avoid the judgments of the mind, the right way to manifest what you want without getting stuck in desire how to get over a scarcity mindset, overcoming the fear of rejection, getting life guidance from your higher self, angels, guides, God, and even friends who've died, surrender and balancing surrender with taking action, and finally, the power of gratitude and the most powerful way to apply it in your life. Thank you so much for joining me throughout 2019 on the Lifestylist Podcast. 
It's with a full heart and much gratitude that I present our last episode of the year with Gabby Bernstein. Gabby Bernstein, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so mellow here. I'm in the treehouse with Cookie. Yeah, Laurel Canyon's kind of, it has that effect on you. Oh my God. I feel like I'm in a treehouse. Your dog is just like so relaxing. <laughs> you know, and she, the jet lag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cookie is kind of a good hack because she's a little oxytocin machine. Totally. So it's it's fun to, I mean, I never like think about it in a clinical sense it's like totally that. totally oxytocin. You know, it's funny. It's like I have this 10 month old and, and he's like all over everything. He can't sit still. But that like magic hour between six and 6.30 after he's had his bottle and he's like knocked out and you get to just hold him for as long as you want. That's my right. moment. That's my oxytocin moment. Yeah. So he's what, 10 months? He's 10 months old. Oliver? Yeah. Uh, how has being a mom changed you? In so many deep, deep ways. Um, the gr- the greatest gift my, my son has given me is an opportunity to recognize my, my child self in a different way and to have a deeper connection to little Gabby. Because, oh, interesting. I've not yeah. heard that. Yeah. I always ask parents that because I'm not one yeah. yet. There's a lot in it. Uh, if you have a trauma history, I mean, having a child brings up brings all of it up, and it's it's a gift because it's actually driven me to do deeper work than I ever thought I would be capable of doing. Some of that began when I had postpartum anxiety and depression and insomnia, and I was diagnosed um, six months ago, uh, and I've been healing from that. Yeah, I, I've heard. Yeah, it was. Um, very, very dark. And I've been very proudly speaking about it because I want to save people because it's, you know. So this is a real biochemical hormonal thing that happens. Like you have this, you know, your hormones are going crazy, obviously when yeah, you, when you conceive throughout your pregnancy, you have the kid like poof, everything just kind of gets right. rearranged yeah. and sometimes not in the best feeling way. Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely a biochemical issue. And I think a lot of people don't, particularly people in the wellness world, I don't think they go, they don't get the right diagnosis and don't get on the right path to heal or the path that will potentially save them from a lot of suffering uh, because they're in the wellness world or they're, you know, no, I can meditate my way out of this. But I knew it was, <laughs> I knew it was way more than uh, just being a stressed out new mom because I could not meditate my way out of it. You know, there was no, my tools stopped working, uh, but my faith didn't stop working. And so it was through prayer and through a lot of faith uh, and trusting in the guidance I was receiving that I allowed myself to be led to the right doctors and the right medication. And I've been speaking very publicly, like I've authored seven self-help books and I had to go on antidepressants. You know, right? And that's something I never in my life that I think I would ever do. And I was part of the stigma. You know, here I was, like, (laughs) I'm the asshole. You know, that's like not understanding mental illness and being like meditate. You know, but when you have when you have a biochemical issue and you want to commit suicide, there is a home and place for medication, which saved my life. Saved my life. That's um, I have that similar experience because I'm so into biohacking and health and stuff like that, and. there's times where like I go to Rite Aid and buy some Theraflu or some Toms mm-hmm, or some shit. Mm-hmm, and I'm sitting there going, God, I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, like, you know, it's like, God, I've, I've got to be able to figure this out. And sometimes it's like, no. sometimes you do need to just bust out the big guns. Yeah. You know, I'm always talking shit about big pharma because I think there's 
so much greed and inherent deception and evil yeah. from that entity in general. Mm-hmm. But that said, if I get hit by a bus, please take me to Cedars. Don't yeah. try to rub some ashwagandha on my goddamn yeah. broken femur. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that. I think that. Like anything, like if you had a heart condition, you would take you would take meds if you needed it, right? You know, if you if 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 it was your life threatening situation, I think that's the same in many cases with antidepressants and and um, I mean, I think that you go into a different area when you start talking about benzos and things like that because it can be far more addictive. But uh, having the right therapeutic guidance when you actually need it, and I completely agree with you. I mean, things are way over prescribed, and uh, I'm glad we're starting here. Yeah, because you know, funny. I'm ignoring my notes. I was also so ashamed <laughs> to talk about the um, the meds because I was like the spiritual teacher, right? Right. And I actually now I'm very proud to talk about it and 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 be a voice for mental illness and uh, and also to just recognize that God is in the medication and God is in the psychiatrist and not God isn't in anything that we abuse, right? Because then that's coming from a place of fear. We, that's misalignment. Even if we're even if we're abusing our our healthy lifestyle, right? That can be an addiction too. Right. So uh, <laughs> tell me about it. Right. <laughs> we'll go up and look at the biohacking lab, and you'll you'll see that I'll in be full like, effect. Wow! I'm, I'm glad looking... you channeled your energy into something good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny. I've actually been not not in a, like a self critical way, but I I like to be as self aware as possible, and yeah. I've really been seeing. And we'll get into this when we talk about trauma and stuff, but the um, sort of crossover of obsessive compulsive behavior and and addictive behavior as it pertains to wellness and all the practices and self-care. I mean, I could literally go all day and not do shit, like get no work done and just play with all the stuff and like, how good can I feel? And in the end, at at times it becomes like sort of a self-obsessive kind of thing where you're still just thinking about you and how you feel and all that. It's a really, it's an interesting... You're still trying to control something. Totally. My friend, Neil Strauss, who's been on the show a couple of times, um, who I kind of helped get into health because he's just a writer, a successful guy, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. started having some health issues and had a baby and Mm -hmm. wanted to really kind of like learn about health and stuff like that. So I went over to his house a few years ago and did a whole sweep on his kitchen and got all the MSG and aspartame and corn syrup and all the main offenders out. And then he started, he and his wife adopted a really good eating protocol and got all the, you know, cleaning products out of their house and all that stuff. But then he saw how hardcore I was. And one day he's like, Luke, you know why you're into all the shit you're into? Like to the degree that you are. Yeah. It's because I'm like, I'm healthy, man. I'm living yeah. the good life. And he's like, it's control. Yeah. Because he's really, he'll psychoanalyze you. Yeah. you. I don't know if you ever met Neil. No, I Within haven't. Within five minutes, he'll psychoanalyze you. That's cool. That's just how he rolls, whether you ask for it or not. Yeah. But it's useful information because he's a well-studied guy. Yeah. He said, he said, I bet when you were a kid, you had a consistent or at least periodic experience of being totally out of control. That's right. And so now you use all the supplements and yeah. all the biohacking and all that to control your environment That's and control how you feel. Right. I was like, fuck. Yeah. Nailed here, it, me. here it is again. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. No, I mean, listen, we have so much in common. Um, I mean, I think the reason that we used was because of the trauma. It's the reason that we're, you know, even even the successes that 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 you or I may be experiencing life uh, have, may have come from controlling <laughs> in some ways. And then, of course, uh, I, the thing I've experienced most recently is like the more I've um, become settled into being new, and and I really mean new, the not the manic behavior even because because i mean i think i'd i think i'd authored like six books before i really 
five books, six books before I really came to baseline. Really? Yeah. And it's because of, it's, it's all because of a trauma history, but, and every, every book and every, every practice along the way got me to a safer and safer, more stable place to get to a place of release and relaxation and, and, and really measuring my success based on how relaxed am I? Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really good because I think sometimes I'm starting to get the awareness that through some of the self-care practices, there is a tension behind it. Right. 100%. It's I like, actually talk about this in the book. Yep. I'm not, I'm actually not relaxed when I'm doing all the things to get relaxed. Mm-hmm, and there's right. all of these that's funny, right. that's right. These funny, um, yeah. sort of double edged swords that start to appear. But 100%. I, but I want to back up a little bit. Sorry, with, we're going in a lot of circles. No, it's here. cool. I am totally nonlinear and this will go all over the place. I don't know how to be straightforward. I always have my questions. Like I have them. You know, the reason I do my little printouts is actually because there are certain things I really want to make sure okay, that cool. I ask. Okay. And there were times where I was like, I don't need that. We'll just roll with it. And afterward, I'm like, duh, I forgot to ask them yeah. about X, Y, Z. So those are kind of like my, don't forget to ask this, Luke. But um, I like to meander because it's more fun. Uh, but back to motherhood. And you mentioned that it's triggering your early trauma. How is the 10-month-year-old reflecting things that you went through? He's not reflecting anything I went through. And, and, and God pray that he doesn't ever. Uh, but he's uh, a reminder of what I didn't have because now oh. I am able to give it to him. Uh, he is a uh, a constant reminder of the the love that I have within me. And it's a love that I never knew was, I didn't even know it was in there. And uh, the opportunity to give someone a life that will be very healthy. So you're able to reflect back on you as a little tyke and see what you're- Not feeling safe, needing to control. And then creating a space and a home for him to feel completely free, completely safe. Uh, even even if, if he's you know getting into things he shouldn't be, and to create that space so that he feels free, and then most importantly to honor his feelings. It must be really interesting. I think I'm just going to project your worldview because I've read enough of your stuff and heard your own podcast that I think you would subscribe to the concept that we're a spiritual energy being that comes around and inhabits certain bodies and has these different lifetime yeah. experiences. Would you subscribe 100%, to that? 100%, yeah. Is it interesting to look at your son and in a sense know that he's not, quote, end quote, your son? 100%. That he's this soul that has probably been here yeah. 10,000 times and yeah. you're just kind of another round. It's and a, yeah, it's a tricky Do you ever thing. have that experience that you, that you know each other from before or mm. any of that kind of stuff? All of it. So one thing is very important for parents to hear. So thank you for being this guide to parents now is that he is not my son. He is a spirit who chose to be Oliver. And I'm, you know, in this form in the archetype and, and in the devotion of helping him grow, but he is a spirit that is not mine. That is something that is hard to remember when you're holding this child and he looks exactly like you and you're like, you're mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, he, but he is, when I look in his eyes and this was probably the most devastating part about having the postpartum was I didn't recognize him. And then once I started to really recover, 
I would look at him and I'd be like, I know you. And the day he was born, I looked at him and I was like, I know you. Wow. I know you. I've known you before. Wow. Yeah. I get that sense sometimes with my parents, you know, especially Mm -hmm. as I've gotten older, I think with my dad, because we were, you know, distant and estranged um, much of my childhood. But now that I'm older than he was when I was born and even through a lot of my childhood, we're kind of just buds now. Yeah. And we learn so much from one another. And I, I truly feel like this is not our first round. No, you know, no. There's like a really interesting bond yeah. there that's, yeah. that's strange and it's palpable. And that these, that these other spirits come into alignment with different people, different spirits at different times for the optimal growth. So I can already see how Oliver has been. I mean, he already has been the catalyst for my greatest healing. Let's talk about this. So I had postpartum after my baby and then I went on medication and I was ashamed of that and uncomfortable around that. But my psychiatrist said something to me early on that really helped me commit. And she said, taking these meds will give you an opportunity to feel safe enough to do the deeper work that you need to do, the, the trauma healing. And it has. So I can see, you know, when you can see those moments where like, thank God that happened because oh, now God, I'm here. Yeah. And, and, and the, so I practice you know, EMDR therapy uh, and I've been able to go to like the deepest, darkest places that I would never have been able to possibly touch without some form of uh, safety and baseline. So I can look back and say, thank you. But more importantly, I can see that this soul came in to, to help me facilitate this healing. Even the day I got pregnant, my healing began, right? Uh, and any mother that's listening will completely agree that the moment that you conceive, you know, oh, it was a big ride, you know? <laughs> and, and all your stuff comes up. But, so that it can be healed. And, and, and if you are willing to show up for the assignment, then you'll have a much easier time being a mother. That must have been so strange though to have what I think in many women's experience is kind of the ultimate, right? I mean, there's men can't do it, right? You have a baby and it's like, okay, I've arrived. This is the thing that many women are kind of looking forward to. I mean, it's one of the purposes of getting married and settling down with the guys so you can have a baby, right? Otherwise, you guys might not even talk to us. <laughs> but i um, halfway joking. But to have this beautiful, what I'm presuming to be a beautiful experience and mm-hmm. just, you know, once in a lifetime kind of thing where you're ushering a soul uh, into this world, into the physical plane, and then to not be happy. I mean, that's yeah. got to be like such a mind well, The first two months were pretty good. Okay. Um, I had the most, I did a hypnobirthing, so I had a pain-free birth. Wait, what? Um, okay, unpack this. Yeah. It wasn't that it was pain-free, but I don't remember any pain and I don't, um, when I experienced pain, I, I was almost like joy as well. It was a, it was a, it was an interesting experience. Uh, hypnobirthing is uh, mantra, it, the intention is to create a fear, fearless birth. And it's mantra and it's meditation and it's affirmations and it's visualizations. And so, and it also changes the language around birthing. So, right, I'm not, I'm not saying like delivering, I was saying birthing, right? Or uh, you don't say, you, you'd say surge rather than, uh, you know, there's, there's just beautiful ways rather oh, than contraction. So it's like right? some NLP in there. There is NLP in there. That's cool. And, you know, so at my birth, I had, had this like excellent midwife and my acupuncturist and my husband and like six nurses. I was just like in this, and I live in a little country town. So I was, uh, I was, it was like my Beyonce birth because nobody else was on the floor. It was just me. 
And you know, I had my 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 visualizations and So it was at home? No, at the hospital. Oh, at a hospital, yeah. but you had your crew. No one was there except for me. I was the only one. Oh. I was the only one birthing in that little tiny hospital. And it was oh, like, so you weren't like at Cedars and you're no, just like- No, I'm looking out at like rolling hills and, and like sunsets. And yeah, most of the time I live in the countryside. Yeah. Is hypnobirth, you're my, you're my hero and, and point of envy. I mean, I'm in Laurel Canyon now. It's better than being down in the city. But yeah. every time I try, I was just in Colorado and then in the you're Bay like, Area. Why am I not here? Well, every time I get out of the city, I'm just, my nervous system just goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I think, why is it not like this all the time? Right. Anyway, I digress. Right. Um, so this hypnobirth, you're in a small town, so it's in a hospital, but you're still able to have your crew in there and like do it the way you want to do it. That's right. Is this hypnobirthing thing, is it a thing or is it, thing. Is it how niche is it? Because I've, I've explored a little bit um, just because I find, I think that how you bring a person into the world mm-hmm. is really going to dictate so much about their life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I'm a really big proponent, even though I'm a guy and, and don't know that much about, I know how to practice making babies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, I just think it's really important, you know, things like circumcision and just, the, yeah. I don't know. There's just so many things that happen to babies and just yeah. the environment and the fact yeah. that we look at, pregnancy and birth as an illness that you have to go to the hospital right, for. Right, kind of, you right. know, it's sort of yeah. like you're born in a hospital, then you die in a hospital right. and then you spend as little time as possible. I'm proud in to there. say that I had probably like the most holistic uh, hospital birth that you could have. And uh, I was able to ma- merge these two worlds and, uh, but also be in an environment where I felt safe. Like I was not the person for a home birth. It was definitely not my, not for me. Not putting the kid. I like to be in control. We know <laughs> not, this yeah. now. Not putting so, the kiddie pool in the living room. No, and like, no, no, no. But I yeah. created that the energy. You know, my son came into the world. I had this um, hip birthing affirmation. We can, we can put in your show notes. It's a really good birthing mix on my Spotify. Oh, cool. And um, this birthing mix going on repeat and my son came into the world to Jai Jagdish. Uh, hallelujah. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And everyone was crying. I mean, it was just beautiful. It was, yeah, he came in and then I had done some, some lactation consulting. So I knew he went right to the boob and it was, it was epic. What about the period of, uh, I think it was three years that you wanted to become pregnant mm-hmm. and were unable to. What mm-hmm. do you think was behind that God. block? Really? It wasn't a block. It was God's work. Yeah. Really? Well, I was blocking it because I wasn't, um, because I had more work to do spiritually and um, from a recovery standpoint, I w- was trying in 2015, I began trying to conceive in 2016. I remembered my childhood sexual abuse. And, Are you serious? Yeah. Just then? Yeah. It was, I had dissociated from it completely. Whoa. It's not that you like, it was in my body. It was in my jaw. It was in my addiction. It was, you know, it right. was, it was, it was in my gut. Like it was everywhere, but I, and I had imprinted memories, but I didn't know. And this is very common. You just, you know, and I, I have a friend that that happened to yeah. at 40 years old. He was yeah. like, Whoa, I was abused. Yeah. Yeah. I was, but I, I knew from the moment it happened. Yeah. I wonder which is worse, you know, if you compartmentalize it and then it just fucks you up subconsciously right. or if you're aware of it and like ruminating on it your whole life as I was. Yeah. It's probably, look, we both went on the same path. So right. I think it was probably just as bad. Six to one, half a dozen the other. Both got sober at 25 and 26, you know, my own Kundalini, you know, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know what's worse, but it's bad. And, you know, one of my big missions and I'm not there yet because I'm still in the, in the, you know, I'm, I'm getting close to 
to recovery, but to, you know, feeling fully free, but I'm not quite there yet. You know, it's, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a brave act to face trauma. It's a brave act. And I even said to my therapist the other day, I said, I don't think that 90, I'm like, I think 90% of people don't even actually get through this. And she said, 99% don't actually fully recover from this because it's, it's not to say, I don't want, and, and, and I think that ta- us talking about this is contributing to what lessening that percentage, right? Because there's so much shame and we, with that shame, that shame is probably this massive wall that's built up against the potential for, for true healing. So we have to be, have the bravery to go to that place and the bravery to do the work. And the work is uh, big work. It's gnarly. Just when, you, I mean, I, you know, I was in therapy when I was 14 dealing with that shit. And it's like, you think that, <laughs> at least in my experience, get to the point where I think, okay, cool. Like I'm not triggered by the memories. It's, it's seemingly inert at this point, right? It's, I acknowledge it happened. Forgiveness on such a deep level for all the perpetrators, for myself. And I think I'm free of that, but there I go try to make some money or have a relationship right, or do the right, things right. in life. There and it is bloop, again. Bloop, bloop. Yeah. It's there like, it is God again. damn it. Why is my self-worth yeah. in the toilet when I'm like such a successful, yeah. amazing, transformed yeah, person? It, 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 look, trauma, there is freedom from trauma. So let's start there. Okay. And I'm going to live to tell. I'm going to write that fucking book. Okay. So wait, <laughs> wait, um, because I'm close. I feel close, closer than ever before. Uh, I mean, I've had full exorcisms. Like I've been doing EMDR and like my whole body would shake. And uh, it's, you're, you know, when like a animal, you know, freezes because they think they play dead, right? They have the ability in minutes or, you know, seconds to just shake it out and move on. What happens for us is that we get stuck and frozen in that trauma because we don't, we don't have that, you know, shake it out, move mechanism. So when you do something like EMDR therapy, you have the ability to actually have the experience of, of experiencing the trauma shake out of your body. It's, it's epic. It's pretty wild. I know you, you've been a um, proponent of EMDR and I've had a, a couple of friends that have had really great results with it. So of course, because I do everything, I do all the things, I went and did maybe like five sessions or so and there was no perceivable benefit to me. There's two things so, I would but, suggest, yeah. But you're like, whoa, this is this something's happening. Same with my friend. He's like, within I don't know. He, he within went one a bit, session, you can have an experience. Yeah, that's what I hear. It's so funny. I'm well, like, am I immune to it? <laughs> no, there's a few things. I mean, one, you may not have trusted the practitioner because you have to work with someone that you feel safe enough to be vulnerable and, and and expose your shame. I mean, it's dark, you know. So you have to be working. It was when I found my EMDR therapist Tammy that, and I have an excellent talk therapist that you know that does EMDR with me as well. When I found Tammy, who was such a, such a, uh, her energy was like, she was a sister to me, not like my shrink, you know? Right. More of a peer vibe. Yeah. I mean, she'd, she'd even come, she'd seen me speak. I mean, the first day I sat in her office, she said, I have to tell you right now, I've, I've seen you speak. I followed your, I've read your books. Like I, and I was like, uh, I don't care. Let's go. You know, I, he- I hear you're good. Let's go. Right. And so we, we got into it. And, and to this day, I'm like, look, I got to be free so you can be my friend. <laughs> and that camaraderie and that friendship or her energy just was a, held the space for me to be comfortable in that vulnerability. And so it may be that you haven't found the right person yet. Maybe that there's another path for you that's going to help get that stuff out. Or maybe just mean that you just got to keep going. Have you done any hypnotherapy? I have, yeah. 
Did you find that to be beneficial in the same way of sort well, of- hypnobirthing is a little bit of hypnotherapy. Oh, okay. So you listen to like hypnosis meditations and so that, yeah, that was very beneficial for me with my birth. It seems to me as I get to the root of why we're fucked up, <laughs> despite not, I'm not including you. I'm just saying, you know, you can include me, baby. Those of us that are really diligently committed to a surrendered a life of, of, how do I say this? Surrendered action, you right. know, of like right. freedom, doing the will of the creator and trying to do good and trying to heal from everything that we've experienced uh, so that we can be of greater service, right? Is that at the core of it, man, I really think, and I'm, I've just recently discovered something called DNRS, um, which is um, Dynamic Neural Reprocessing System, I think it stands oh, cool. for. Annie Hopper. And, you know, there's a lot of things, Bruce Lipton, Joe yeah. Dispenza. I mean, yeah. everyone's kind of circling around the same truth, which yeah. is essentially that your limbic system gets damaged yeah. when you're traumatized. Could yeah. be a car crash when you're 16, which I yeah. had. And mm-hmm. all the shit we do to ourselves through addiction and self-abuse yeah. and, you know, the crazy shit that other yeah. people do to us. And that when the limbic system gets damaged for some of us, it could be from chemical exposure, EMF exposure, all kinds of stuff that you get stuck in a fight or flight response. That's right. And your, um, your, uh, what's that thing? The hippocampus, right? Subconsciously stores these memories. And its job is to remember every time something fucked up happens to you so that you can avoid that happening again. Then throughout your adult life, you just trigger all the time. Yeah, something similar to that thing that happens happens. Triggers, but it's not real. It's a good thing. It's fine. It's not going to hurt you. Right. Then you get this adrenaline and cortisol dump that's going on, and there's this feedback loop where you never truly get out of that fight or flight. And so, like you know, that's what that's what I'm kind of seeing. Like ah, that's the holy grail is being able to fix your brain. It's really like so much of it's in the brain. It's about healing the energetic disturbance. So I teach um, and practice emotional freedom technique, EFT. The tapping. tapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's similar to EMDR. And all that kind of work, EMDR, EFT, maybe even what you're talking about, um, what it does is it, it heals the emotional disturbance because it's not like, oh, I have to like heal the phobia. I have to heal the disturbance that created the phobia right? Or I have to heal the the reactivity or the addiction. I have to heal the disturbance that created the reactivity and addiction. So the work around, you know, trauma, real good trauma work, um, somatic experiencing, things that we can do in for, to heal trauma will help us release that, that disturbance, that, that energy, that, that what you, you know, that stored disturbance. In my case, I think, you know, I lived in fight or flight and freeze in many ways, right? So- Freeze is my move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I get stuck, I'm just like, don't talk, don't breathe. Right. Become invisible. Right. This is too uncomfortable. Right. Right. I'm not a big fighter. I don't like conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I did a Moon lot. in Libra. Oh. I like balance. I like oh. chillness. Chillness is always the goal. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Scorpio is here, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> When's your birthday? November 1st. Oh, okay. Yeah. A couple of days after mine. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's so somatic experiencing, EMDR, tapping, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what we're all kind of zeroing in on here is that all of the shit that we go through are symptoms of the trauma. So we can either like band-aid all of the symptoms, which I'm an expert at, um, or we can really dig down to the deep work and face the the scary shit and heal the root of it. Yeah, we have to get to the root cause. And I think that uh, true freedom comes when you're willing and brave enough to go to the root cause. And so, you know... uh, 
I've, you know, I've written, I've written these books that give people very practical tools and spiritual tools and help people wake up to a spiritual relationship. But my biggest prayer for my reader is that these books will crack them open to a spiritual relationship. So they start to listen to God and that they become willing to heal on a deeper level. And then with that willingness and that openness, they begin to be guided to the EMDR therapist or this podcast or uh, a yoga teacher that's going to change them forever or Kundalini class. Because once you open up that spiritual awareness and you start to be guided. When you first sort of came out as someone who had addiction issues in the past and talked about sobriety, was there fear about doing that? Or did you just kind of take the plunge? I admittedly, I've not read your first couple books. I mean, you go back to like 2009 or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so you've been yeah. pumping out books for a long time. What At what point did you go like, oh, hey, I used to do blow. Like <laughs> I did that right away. So I was speaking publicly for three and a half years before my first book was published. And I was up on the stage right away saying, hey, I'm sober. And this is why I'm talking about this because I'm now deepening my spiritual faith. And all along the way throughout my career, I've talked, I've, I've taught from where I have been. I'm here right now and that's what I'm going to teach about. And I'm here right now and that's what I'm going to teach about. And, and I'm here right now and that's what I'm going to write about. And I'm here right now and that's what I'm going to write about. And I continued on that path. So I was very comfortable talking about my, my recovery because I wasn't ashamed of it. It was when I, you know, it was things like talking about, I had to be careful before getting on stage and talking about my trauma because until I was in a place where the shame wasn't so overpowering, because had I gotten on the stage and spoken that way, the vibration of shame would have left a vibration of shame. So I had to clean that up before I could really go oh, there. Oh, that makes sense because you'd be still talking from that place of being captured by it rather than having persevered and overcome it where you could say like, hey, listen, at least I'm part of the way through this, if not through I, it. I haven't overcome it, but I'm here and I'm, I'm stable enough in this acceptance that I can safely speak about it without triggering people. Because the thing is, if you and I hadn't done, haven't done the work that we've done, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation in a way that would have an impact on people because they would feel our shame. Oh, interesting. That shame would be projected because mm -hmm. you're still experiencing it from that point of That's view. That's right. And I didn't speak, I didn't say anything about the antidepressants until... <laughs> Until I, got, I was interviewed in the New York Times. And, uh, hey, if you're going to come out, so, yeah, go big. Okay, let's go. Um, and I got to tell you how many people that helps. You know, people that were so ashamed of being on medication, but really needed it at a time in their life or at the stage or postpartum or something like that. And there are so many people in the wellness world that are just like, you know, taking that conversation and just, you know, just shaming it, shaming it. And it was only... So the point I was trying to make though is the first few months of me speaking about my postpartum, I said, oh, I saw a psychiatrist because I was terrified of telling my spiritual community that I was on you know, a medication. And uh, then I got over that. Once I, once I, And the other thing also is I was terrified of talking about my postpartum. So I knew I needed to because I was so ashamed of it. And so uh, that was for me a quick turnaround. I was like, okay, I'm going to heal this shame right away so I can help. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a good conversation to have because I think, as I said, that, uh, you know, because I see so much of the harm that's done through big pharma that sometimes I throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I recently interviewed Kelly Brogan and she's... Yeah, I mean, she's the opposite of what I'm saying. Very well-respected psychiatrist and is also like <laughs> super anti-medication because, you know, she found other ways to help her clients and things like that. And I think that's been more my perspective and also subjectively my own experience. 
Well, was, I was brought up homeopathic, okay? Really? When I went to go and f- fulfill that prescription for the meds, that was the first time I'd ever stepped into a pharmacy to fulfill a prescription. What? And I handed them the prescription. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing with this. They're like, what? Do you just give it to us and we give you the medication? I was like, oh, does my insurance cover? Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, you're pre- preaching to the choir. Like, I was, you know, everything had, you know, oil of oregano was the answer or, uh, you know, ashwagandha, right? Are exactly. your parents hippies or something? Mm- Yes, totally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Big time. My mom still is. Okay. Big so time. with the postpartum and finding the right, you know, prescription, how long does that last? Is that something that you, you, you no. taper off until, yeah, you know? Yeah, I'll taper or... off. I want to have another baby, so I'll taper off soon. Oh, okay. Um, but Lord knows if for some reason I notice that stuff coming back, I'll get back on that if I need to. You know, I, I don't ever want to live in the place that I was in ever again. I was in the most horrific place I've ever, I mean... And I, I'm so grateful for it because so many of the people that come to my work have mental illness. I can totally hold them in that now. Right. And I can totally get them and understand them. How does it work uh, with breastfeeding? Do you have so to the stop? medication that I was on is safe for pregnancy and breastfeeding. It's called Zoloft. Oh, okay. And it's the one... Oh, I've heard of that. The one med that is safe for pregnancy and, and breastfeeding. Oh, interesting. But my son was really energetically tuned in with me. And at five months, we had a really good breastfeeding thing going on. I mean, I had a double D. Like I went, like I'm a small little person and I, I had so much milk. Like I was like a cow. And... <laughs> I have trays and trays and trays of milk in my basement from that time. You freeze it, right? Oh yeah. I, oh, had, okay. like, I have like massive amounts of milk right. and I would have donated it, but it does have Zoloft in it. I don't want to give somebody my medicated milk, right? right. But but I can still use it if I feel I need to. Um, and, or I can make soap out of it. <laughs> like very relaxing soap. Um, oxytocin soap. Uh, yeah, oxytocin Zoloft soap. Um, but, uh, but my... My son like tuned in and and I think he knew I was overwhelmed and he could feel the overwhelm. And we had this beautiful feed where he was like, we were lying in my bed. Normally I would feed him in a chair or whatever. And he fed for like half hour and then he fell asleep on me. And I even took a photo of it. I took a picture of him sleeping on my chest. And the next day he gave me the hand. He was really? Like, I'm done, mama. Whoa. I'm done. At five months? Yeah, I said, back off, lady. Wow, that's interesting. Only would take a bottle. And I, he knew, he knew I needed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he knew I wasn't going to be able to cut it off. Because I already, I already had so much guilt and shit going on that he knew I wasn't going to cut it off. So he did. Back to conceiving, other than, because three years is a long time. I mean, I, now I think it's normal that many women have problems with mm-hmm. fertility and things mm-hmm. like that. But um, aside from you just feeling this, energetically, you know, nature was saying, oh, you're not quite ready. You need to deal with this and deal with that. Do you think that also had anything to do with how proactive and yang you are with your career and yeah, being, yeah, we did. being in masculine energy and out crushing yes. writing books, book tours, doing That's the exactly thing? right. Yes. So one of, so I gave up the, the drink and the drug like 25 years old. Right. And then I became a work addict. Right. And I thought like, oh, this isn't a problem because everything I'm doing is in the pursuit of good and it's so inspirational for me and I'm having so much fun doing it. But man, I mean, I, I got to a point where I, my, my business was like really successful and I didn't have nearly enough people supporting me. Like I was doing way too much at that stage when I could have afforded to have a lot more people. And in that four, in that four year period, I started to you know build my team. I started to rely on my team, started to let people help me. I started to... Uh, I had more bottoms. You know, for me, trauma really affected my gut. 
And so oh, I had yeah, a lot of different gut issues. I had SIBO, yeah. candida, you know, but then I got SIBO. And when you, if you really want to clear SIBO, I wrote a blog about it, but if you really want to clear SIBO, which is a hard thing to clear, not only do you have to do all the food stuff, but you have, have, you have to have a zero stress tolerance because it's stress that caused it for me. And SIBO is small intestinal, intestine bacterial overgrowth. And that happens when we're, you know, when we're in a fight or flight stress state. So, so I didn't have a gut issue. I had a trauma issue that was creating gut issues. Right. But when I healed the SIBO, I, I made such a deep commitment to let people take over, fully relaxed for the first time in my life, totally cleared my gut. I cooked for myself for four straight months. Every single meal I had came from my kitchen even when I was going out to food. I heard you talk about that. Did you ever get flack when you went to restaurants with your little uh, containers Literally, I'd walk into restaurants with like bacon and like, <laughs> like, and like my, uh, my, coffee, my coffee mug with my coconut cream in the coffee. Like only few things I could eat. Uh, and I didn't give a shit. I was like, I'm good. And then people would be like, I want some of that bacon. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but it was like a keto diet pretty much, but even more restricted. And... Uh, that's, I think that's a big contributor to how I conceived because my gut was clear and because I was so relaxed. And I've been, since then, I never went back to the work addiction. That's over. I, I mean, I, hallelujah. It is gone. Good for you. I got a good big ass team doing a ton of beautiful work behind the scenes. I don't even talk to them. Like they're just doing it. I have one person on my team that I talk to right now who's the, the director. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I call, I, I, I call her the conductor. Yeah. Well, I'll talk to you and then you just make it happen. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've, I'm constantly studying marketing and business and things like that. And I'm, aside from a remote, I guess I have a team, but not like, you know, I'm doing more than I would like to be doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, the I think I learned this at, yeah, I learned this at Tony Robbins recently, this business mastery about, you know, you have the producer, performer, yep. personality type, which you, I would say are, and um, and I am as well. And then you have the manager leadership person mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. loves to organize and systems That's and all that Jessica. stuff. So I'm like, yep. God, That's not I, me. I'll do anything but that. That's not me. I mean, you and shouldn't the, try to do it. Don't do it. Don't do the, it. Oh no, I, I'll drive myself crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, things for me, they just don't get done if they're in that category. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. Because um, I haven't found like that, I would just do it with person. like complete panic and stress. Right. Right. And then I'd mess it all up. And then you have the you know the kind of. Uh, biz dev entrepreneurial mm-hmm. person that has like all the big ideas and can also execute. So that's them. also me. So that, right. yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't want to execute them. Yeah. So yeah. you come up with the ideas and like team make this thing happen magically. Yeah. But I was still up until like three weeks ago, I was still in the, I have to make it happen because things were structurally a little off. So sometimes you have to just sort of like reorg and we did. Now all of a sudden things are pretty smooth, but I'm very reliant on one person in particular on my team who I, you know, I hope she'll be with me forever. That's my, that's my conductor. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. There's one question I get over and over again from listeners, and that is, Luke, if you could recommend one product or lifestyle practice to really improve your health without breaking the bank, what would it be? And I have to say, blocking blue light at night has got to be my number one hack. I think a lot of our problems uh, in health really come down to being completely domesticated, cut off from natural light, sun, different temperatures, the earth, right? So... If we want to live indoors and turn on the lights at night and go out into the world where there's blue light, aka just really bright, white, unnatural light after dark, 
Uh, it's real easy to fix that. All you have to do is get some blue blocks glasses. You know, studies have clearly shown that blue and green light at night is a super potent suppressor of melatonin. But the guys over at Blue Blocks have the Sleep Plus lenses that are the most effective blue and green light blockers for after dark use, proven to block 100% of the light in this range, which is super important. So these guys do prescription glasses, reading glasses, non-prescription glasses at a tremendous value. If you want to check it out, go over to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. If you want to get hooked up with a 15% discount, you can use the code LIFESTYLIST. So the code is LIFESTYLIST. The website is blueblocks.com. They have a variety of different styles. And uh, as I said, this is one of my top recommendations, something you can do to really impact your health without spending a ton of money. Just get in the habit of making it dark at night when it's supposed to be dark. And thankfully, companies like these guys are making glasses that don't look ridiculous like they used to when I started out (laughs) trying to block that light at night. So blueblocks.com, the code is Lifestylist. And now back to the interview. Going back to the yang energy of being out there in the world, getting things done, how do you find balance and polarity in your marriage as, you know, I'm just going to assume you like to be in the role of the more feminine yielding yen energy in your relationship. And I could be totally wrong. Maybe you don't, you guys have something else worked out, but in any case, in order for there to be continued attraction and polarity, yeah. you've got to kind of understand those energies. How do you work that out I in your relationship? I let him take care of me. You do? Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not living in the masculine like I used to. I was living in the masculine. I was like, I will just like bulldoze over the world, right? Now I'm in a place where I am deeply committed to my serenity, deeply committed to my art, which is speaking publicly and writing books. I I don't I don't have any interest in having anything take take me away from that. And that work is very feminine. So in order to allow that 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 uh, the inspiration to move through me, I can't be in that masculine state. And I don't, I don't mean like people can't, you know, have major, major downloads and do great work if they're not in a masculine state. But I, I, what you're referring to is like, you know, that type A kind of make it happen kind of yeah. thing. Well, and you're very prolific and you've gotten a lot done in I the past I have a lot to say years, and a lot's you know? coming through and I, and I really allow it to come through. But the biggest thing for me right now is that I'm really letting people help me, particularly my husband. And my husband's a genius and he's, he's every entrepreneur, he's every spiritual entrepreneur's dream. He's, you know, he, he retired from private equity to come run my business, our business. Oh, really? Business. So you guys work together yes, too. Yes, and it's brought us much closer. He uh, is an attorney. He's a lawyer as well. God, you're so, stoked. You have no idea. <laughs> um, he's also a bass player and like... Uh, Totally into fashion, like Rick Owens, head to toe. No way, really. Yeah, you like you, you got him. the ultimate dude. I got the ultimate dude. Um, you know, super into art, mass, ma- you know, amazing manifestor. Every home I've ever lived in with him is just like I don't. He like looks in the Wall Street Journal. He's like, okay, we got it. You know, that's our home. And then we, you know, major deal. <laughs> like it's he's and he's and he's a genius um, businessman. And and I always offer up Zach for people in the spiritual entrepreneurial space. So you know. You want to call with Zach? He'll he'll get on the phone with you because he's really helpful, you know. Um, so, the answer to your question is, it wasn't always like that when we first started working together. It took me at least a year to let him actually step in, 
And then when I did, it got better and better and better. And now I'm just like, don't even tell me about it. Do it. Do you ever have issues in mixing business and finance and all of that? Do you, in other words, do you guys mindfully segregate those conversations and that type of work for when it's work time and work environment so that they don't Mm -hmm. sort of yeah, interfere with the everything. with the romance. You know the yeah. romance. I, I remember years yeah. ago. I, I was I had a business with a with a girlfriend, and um, you know, to our folly, we didn't know some of the rules, but we would like be laying in bed and start talking about the bank account yeah, and yeah. business and yeah. stuff, and yeah. it really kind of killed the that, yeah the chemistry yeah. in many ways. Like we catch ourselves when we're doing stuff like that. We'll catch ourselves when we're like having dinner and talking too much about it. Um, I have a really strict um, policy for uh, sleep hygiene since my insomnia. And so I have like a no work conversation once we sit down to the meal because it starts to activate me. Yeah. And so I, and I turn off my phone at least an hour before bed and I have no devices an hour before bed and I have ritual. And so he'll sometimes want to go there and we used to go there and I'm like, off, off. What are some of your other um, sleep hygiene tactics? Bathing. I take long, long baths. Sometimes I'll do a sauna before I take a bath. Um, I will go up to my office. I don't meditate or read or do anything in my bed because that's one of the things I've learned is like bed is for sex and for sleep. And so I won't do that in my bed. Um, I've been slacking a little bit lately because I'll start reading in my bed because I'm feeling better. So I'm like, I can do that again. But I don't know. It's really good to be in such a structured way where I would go up to my office and meditate. And then once I started feeling myself getting tired, I'd go downstairs. Um, for a second, you just like looked like Luke Perry to me. It was so crazy. <laughs> so, uh, some woman told me that yesterday. <laughs> it was just when you were San like Francisco. puckering That's your lips. So and I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's so funny. That I don't even know what that dude looks like exactly. I'm going to have he to Google him. He looks a little him. bit like you. But I hope he's good looking because I've he, heard that twice this week. He's a great looking man. And, right, he, and he, I, think he, 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 I think he died of, um, I think, I don't want to say anything. That's not correct, but addiction stuff. Oh, I he think. did die. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think God it was rest his soul. I, mean, I don't know if that was it, but maybe he's maybe he's hanging out. Yeah. That sounded totally in, in gen, disingenuous. God rest his soul, but seriously, yeah, no, seriously. Um, God, anytime someone dies from addiction, I'm just like, oh, there was a way out. You know, it's like uh, if you could have got him in time. Well, we'll keep talking about it. You know? How would you define uh, workaholism? What's the what's the dividing line between being a hard worker and someone who's avoiding their feelings from work uh that you're powerless over work and your life has become unmanageable oh okay that's it break the list you know i i'm secretly jealous kind of of workaholics because i'm a leisureaholic the way i avoid feeling is i just go have fun and do shit yeah i know i I know you're kind i know you're kind Mm -hmm. but neither is neither you know it's it's it any anything that we're doing to avoid feeling is an, you know is a form of addiction, right? I remember what happened when I first remembered my trauma. I was like so depressed and I was like waking up sad and depressed. And I went up to my desk and all of a sudden I put my hands on the keyboard and I took a deep breath and I was like about to get into my work and I just noticed myself go numb. And in that moment, I was like, holy shit, this is how I've been numbing out you know, since I was 25 when I put down the drink and the drug, right? It's like, this has been my addiction. And... I am so proud to say I am in full recovery. It sounds like it. It sounds like you've been able to find some balance where you're still making money, being successful, helping people. I've had far more success when I have turned it over. This book, right? 
all my other books, you know, I've had number one New York Times bestsellers and all these things, right? And it's because I, I cared so much about those those things at certain times in my career. Yeah. In this book, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to focus on the bestseller, and I'm not going to focus on the credentials and the lists and all that. I'm going to just really focus on this book, Serving Souls, and I'm going to make a commitment to let this book be a, a vehicle to help people feel good because it made me feel so good to write it. And, you know, I just went out and did it and had no stress about my book tour and no stress about my, you know, you know, like a little stress when I felt like some things were getting off the rails because people weren't doing things right, but that was just because things were unorganized. But more importantly, like no stress about the outcome. Book's been on the list for the last two weeks. Like, you know what I mean? It's like number one on Amazon, all of Amazon. Like, really? Yeah. Congratulations. And it's, and, and it's because I didn't give a shit. You know, and that's actually right. a big thing in the book. All it's not that I didn't give a shit about the book. I didn't give a shit about the the, the pretense, the form. Right. I cared much more about the service of the book. So that that comes back to the the principle of giving the performance, doing your yes. part, yes. and staying out of the results business. Right. I think that's where, especially because I want to get into your book, and I'm super into manifesting right now. And well, I guess I always have been, but coming at it from a little different point of view. And I love so many things that you wrote about in the book, but it's that, um, you know, it's, I think a lot of people think of surrender as inactivity and just being blase and not really caring and not putting in the work and the sweat equity in a project. Yeah, right? no, no, no. In the book, I talk about this thing called spiritually aligned action. So we, when we're in a pusher state or a manic state or a workaholic state, we're, we have a belief system that if I don't do it, it won't happen. So there's no God in that, right? It's all my will, my will, my will. And so what I've trained myself to do over the years is spiritually aligned action, which is about making sure that the intention is backed with service and love, right? And that could be any kind of intention can be backed with service and love, but tuning into that part of the intention and then uh, really having faith, really strengthening your faith to trust that there, that, that, that there is an energy working on your behalf. And then taking an action from that place of faith is when you take a spiritually aligned action, when it's backed with love, service, and faith. Do you following with me? Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then the final step would be patience because things, like I looked at my son when he was born in three years of trying and I said, dude, you were brilliant. You are so smart. Thank you for coming at the most accurate time. Right, you know? right. God's time is way better than mine. So that patience can come very easily. People are like, oh my God, patience, I can't do that. But patience comes when we are fully, fully in faith. My favorite message from A Course in Miracles is those who are certain of the outcome can afford to wait and wait without anxiety. Damn, I've never heard that one. That's it's a good. good one. And it that certainty comes when we have really learned to rely on a higher power. Right. Well, that's a great way to say it because I think when many people hear the idea of avoiding resistance and that pushing thing that you talk about is that, well, if I don't do it, like you said, it's not going to get done. And mm -hmm. like, if you're not really working hard and trying hard, then you must not be doing anything. Yeah. And there's a, there's a real delicate kind of balance in there yeah. to finesse that where you do your part, but you leave the other part up to God or whatever your concept right. of God is, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, you have to do your part. You can't, you know, you can't hide out. You got to write the book. You got to, you know, I got it. I definitely was very active in the promotion of this book, but I did it all with joy. 
and not pushing. Right. So there's not that sense of tension. My reader is feeling that. Yeah. They feel that. Cookie, yeah, cookies, cookie, you need cookie, you're vibing. You know, it's funny, whenever people come to record, um, she always sits with the guest and never sits with me. Yeah, she's, she's, she wants she wants new love. Yeah, it's funny. She's bored with me. No, um, she no, doesn't. No, she no, loves no. you. No, she does. She does probably too much. Mm. Uh, we're working on the, the attachment issues, you know. Gotcha. I, whenever I go out of town, random friends take her and now she's, she's becoming much more interdependent. Okay. Um, so going back to the sobriety and these different methods of healing the underlying trauma, yeah. which not only has the net effect of you or of one staying sober because yeah. there's nothing more to medicate, you're, yeah. you're dealing with it in healthy ways. Um, have you ever explored or have any desire at all to explore one of these two modalities? Um, clinical psychedelics, doing MDMA, psilocybin, any of that with a trained psychiatrist? Or the shamanic route of plant medicine. Neither medicines. is for me. No, neither is for me. First of all, I was a cocaine addict, so I don't want any of that, right? I just wanted to be in control. <laughs> right. um, but no, 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 that's not for me. Um, but, I, but I honor anyone's path. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that there's kind of a huge awakening, not just in that area, but in general. And I'm sure you found it easier to talk about the spiritual realm and not be sort of branded a religious fanatic yeah, or yeah. a new age kook. I find yeah. that spiritual ideas and concepts, even in the, in your book where you're talking about, you know, archangels and angels and guides, and you're, you're kind of loosening up in the lexicon of spirituality and not making it so broad and ambiguous, but yeah. kind of having the courage to go there. Yeah. I find a lot of people are feeling an openness there and also those of us that, well, I've not yet done the clinical route, um, but will soon, I, I anticipate. Yeah. But um, in sobriety and out that people are really exploring all these ways of expanding their consciousness. Yeah. And it's all becoming sort of okay. It's an interesting thing to observe. So in terms of plant medicines, for me, it was like just a hard no for a long time yeah. because... Uh, I didn't see any difference between that and like, oh, I feel like smoking some weed and watching TV. Right. Like it was right. just, what? No. But having done it, and I'm not advocating this for everyone because I definitely laying there the first night in ayahuasca, one thought was like, oh my God, everyone I know needs to do this. And yeah. the next thought was like, I don't think most people would be interested in this or could uh -huh. handle this because uh -huh. Uh -huh. it's such a deep dive into uh -huh. these other realms and into that trauma. For me, it was like, cool, let's go look at this. You know, oh, after God, yeah. after a few bells and whistles and some fun, I think the medicine was kind of showing me like, you want to see some shit? Watch this. And I was like, fucking floored. Okay, you got my attention. Now let's do some work. And the work mm -hmm. was going to the core of the core. And so it was much more... Um, much more of an inscape yeah. than an escape, yeah. right? I, I did know. drugs to get out of self. And yeah. I think intentionality with plant medicines and different psychedelics yeah. is everything because it was, my intention was not to go trip out. My intention was like, let's see what can be healed. And there you go. For me, it was. That's it. It's all about what your intention behind it is. Yeah. But it was also a huge hurdle with just like coming back going, do I still raise my hand as a guy that's sober? I mean, there's a mm -hmm. whole other side of it that mm -hmm. was really kind of mm -hmm. difficult. And I had to finally just sort of break off from the mothership and go kind of on my own unique journey here. Yeah. And I feel that my heart and my intention is pure and that, um, that I can trust myself. It was yeah. a lot of like trusting that my motives were pure. It's good that you did it when you had so much recovery under your belt. 
I would not recommend it for someone who like just got out of rehab and is like, cool. No. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to go to ayahuasca and find yeah. God. No, yeah. you're probably going to find your way back into the bar right. is what you're going to find because right. you're going right. to activate that. Like right. it will be an escape. Yeah. Um, so oh, there's so many things I want to, uh, to want to ask you about. So have you found then if you can zoom out, I mean, I know you're in the middle, you know, you're a spiritual teacher and you're in the middle of this scene and you're such a huge name. Um, and have such a big following in all these books. If you can zoom out and look at the movement now versus when you started and how open you can be about your spirituality and archangels and guides. and oh, I, I really push the metaphysical envelope. Because you went full woo-woo in this book. <laughs> yes, I did. I, and I'm, I sense that you've kind of always been you know, exploring that I've been expanding the spiritual lexicon for 15 years, you know, and saying things in a way that would be uh, meet people where they were. And I was able to push the metaphysical envelope with Super Attractor because I know people are ready for it. I felt it. People are so, I mean, you know, girls are having like aura parties and like, you know what I mean? Like there's just right. like the, the things I hear are just so mind blowing and it's great. You know, it's like, there's no better trend than this. Do you think that now you can just speak freely and just go full on or is there anything that you hold back on because it sounds too religious or I'm full too on. spiritual? I'm full on. Yeah, full on. Not holding back. And when you started out, did you have to temper things a little bit? To, yeah, is, I never really said the word God. Um, I would, you know, have different inner guide or universe. I didn't talk about the angels or my my mediumship or anything like that. I would talk much more about inspiration and you know. Right. But that was because I'm a translator. You're a translator. We're here to demystify these principles, and we're not, you know, I. I let God teach through me. And so for many years, this was the way that I was being guided. And now I was like, oh, this is, you know, people are ready. Let's go. And you did a book about judgment. Yeah. And I think this is um, something that we all deal with a lot mm. where we fear judgment from other people or we live in a state where we're judging everything around us yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know, it's good, bad, right, wrong. And yeah. always like the mind just wanting to chew on things and yeah. have an opinion. Where are you in terms of your view on the things you covered in that book now? How has that expanded for you? It's the most you? important book I've ever written. Yeah? And it's the one that most people can't get through. It's, Why is that? It's hard. It's a lot of work. It's not. It's for the willing. It's not for... Someone who's like, oh, I love Gabby Bernstein. Let me read this book. It's like, I am ready to go deep and I'm ready to look at my part and I'm ready to uh, be willing to honor the wounds and and really and, and practice forgiveness and see my addiction. Look at my addiction to trauma. Look Not, tra not trauma, look at my addiction to judgment. And I'm sitting here petting your dog. Uh, and... The thing about judgment detox is I didn't come out of writing that book and free of judgment, but I don't believe in it anymore. And so when I notice myself in judgment, I, I come back fast and I feel uncomfortable in it. And I, and I know it's not me. Have you looked at the idea of judging not only in like, oh, that person's wrong and I'm, I'm condemning them so that I can elevate my own ego and feel better, but just the idea of allowing your experience to be as it is without judgment as positive or negative? Just being in discernment? Well, no, like going on a hike and for me, sometimes what I do is I resist the temptation to be like, oh, a really beautiful day. Oh, look at that tree. Oh yeah, just, just <laughs> you know, do nothing, right? Yeah, because we're constantly judging 
good, bad, right, wrong. Yeah, I don't. Rather than just kind of being there, I think that I I perceive the judgment when it when in when judgment in any form is backed with fear, right? Then it's or separation. Then it's out of alignment with God. Whereas I think if you're just enjoying the moment and judging the trees, that's God. That's good. Right. And when it comes to forgiveness, how do we reconcile? Because that's kind of the, you know, the, 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 the end result of that judgment is usually condemnation. We're speaking about judgment in terms of being a negative attribute, too. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people have a hard time in forgiveness when the other perpetrator is not imagined, but is an actual perpetrator. How do we reconcile forgiveness when yeah. wrong has been done? Yeah, no, I've been working on that. Well, forgiveness doesn't mean that we have to see someone again if it's not safe or, or if it's triggering or whatever. And forgiveness is something important for people to understand that forgiveness is for yourself. It's not for the other person, though they will benefit from it. But forgiveness is for yourself. It's for your freedom. Because as long as we're repurposing that resentment, it's like that great saying that we're hitting our head over, we're hitting ourselves over the head with the bat. Where of course in miracles says that we, you are the secret murderer. You know, you've got the gun to your own head. So drinking the poison, hoping the other guy will die. Correct, correct, <laughs> correct. So it's your freedom. It's your freedom that it offers. And I don't, and then when I teach forgiveness, I don't tell people, oh, you know, just forgive. It's um forgiveness is about having the willingness to forgive and asking God for help. And then get letting it go and following the, the following the guidance you receive. Would you subscribe to the idea that everyone is inherently on a soul level innocent? Yes. One hundred percent. Explain that. Well, we are all love. We are all beings of love. We come into this world and we have different experiences of trauma that begin a descent from magnitude into littleness, as the course says. Uh, the detour into fear, and that builds an ego perception of the world and our ego is just trying to stay safe. And that's when we do horrible things. But deep down, we're beautiful people. We're all good. I think something that has been helpful to me is because people do shitty stuff. And a lot of people have hurt me in my life like they've hurt everyone. And it's like the spiritual bypass to it is like, oh no, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's true. But it's, I think maybe for me, it's not, it's forgiving that entity because mm-hmm. of the, the damage that's been done to them and the mm-hmm. hurt that they're just trying to express, mm-hmm. but not forgiving the act, right? Because there are some acts that are just unforgivable. There's no, things throughout history that I understand. It's yeah. like I just I can't forgive the act, but I can I can see the motive behind it and forgive. My answer to your question is I'm still working on it. Okay. That's a fair one. I'll come back when I know. That's a fair one. Yeah. Because I think I really have forgiven everyone in my life because I can... But you can't w- forgive the experience. Yeah. And in, in hindsight, there have been situations, most situations in my life through inventory. If I really look at, you know, sit down and write in an inventory, I fucking hate this guy because they did X, Y, Z. It's pretty, pretty quickly. You can that, see your part. Yeah, yeah, I can quickly arrive at like, oh, okay, well, I was being selfish. Right. I had some motives. There's right. something I wanted. So I put myself in harm's way. Like right. 99.9% of the time, I had something to do with that experience being bestowed upon me. But yeah. there is that 1% where I was like, especially as a kid, like yeah. childhood trauma, sexual abuse, like there's no fucking way I was it, responsible it, for that in any way whatsoever. It feels whatsoever. unforgivable. I understand completely. 
and I'm working on it. Yeah. I'll okay. Get, I'll get back to you. <laughs> That's good. We'll do another. I'll your next book will be just about forgiveness. And I am we'll... going to write a book on trauma and you'll be in it. Oh, you are? Yeah, I'll get you involved. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, I know a bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to manifesting, and this is something, you know, I know you're into Abraham Hicks and, you know, there's so much great information yeah. out there about getting what you want. And I think that in some ways, it's the it's the desire and the wanting that keeps us stuck in a lower place. So say we want to attract a relationship or financial success. Mm-hmm. How can we do that without getting caught in those lower emotional states of lack? Right. Sometimes, so Abraham teaches, sometimes when we focus so much on what we want, we actually are actually focusing on the lack and manifesting more of the lack. So this book is actually not a book on how to get stuff. It's a book on how to feel good. So if your primary focus and desire is to feel good, feel inspired, feel aligned with God, you'll attract what you want. So do you think it's a matter of finding fulfillment with exactly what we have? That's correct. Yeah. Feel good. (laughs) Right. I mean, the fastest way to be a magnet for what you desire is to feel good, but not be like, I got, now I got to feel good so I can get what I want. You know, I mean, Abraham says, you know, that so many people think when I have that thing, I'm going to be happy. When I have that relationship, I'm going to be happy. But the message really is, is that when I feel good and I'm happy, everything will be coming to me. So being in vibrational alignment right. with that, that we want. That's right. Which is not coming from a place of like, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when. And then there's a great, another, busting out all the great course quotes. Okay, here we go. The secret to prayer is to forget what you think you need. Oh damn! I've, dude, I've been—I can't say I've read a Course in Miracles, but I've listened to it a million times. And you're like getting all these nuggets I never heard. My favorite one is: Would you rather be right or would you rather be yeah, happy? Yeah, we got that. That's the—that's the ultimate. You know, yeah. anytime you're like yeah. those fuckers, I'm gonna—I'm yeah. yeah. gonna give them a piece of my mind. Really, is it really worth it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, oh, there's something else I wanted to ask you. Oh, you have a three-step choose again method for getting rid of negative thoughts because I find at times and I'm sure many people can identify that we get stuck in this loop once we energize that one Mm -hmm. negative thought start talking about it feeling it thinking more then Mm -hmm. we're just trapped in that loop and we can't get out Mm -hmm. yes we do Uh, so this is the choose again method that's in the book and it's the first step is to notice the negative fear-based thought that's on the loop and notice how it makes you feel and the second step is to forgive the thought so you can big up there you are again, funky thought. Or forgive yourself for having the thought, which is, I think most people that are in a spiritual path can have the ability to do that, to say, okay, I went there again. I know that's not who I am. I forgive, I forgive myself for having that thought. And the third step is to choose again, to reach for the next best feeling thought. That's a very Abraham 101, right? Reach for that next best feeling thought. So reaching for a thought that you believe in that feels good. There's something really cool that you that you covered in the book, and I actually bookmarked. I gotta it get here. you a hardcover, baby. Well, the I have galley your, here. I, I'm special. I you have are the, very I have special the, with um, the galley the here. Galley, That's right. The right. galley version of it. But uh, when I came across this in the book, it was really fascinating to me because it's something that I learned from Dr. David Hawkins. I'm not sure yeah. if you're familiar yeah. with his yeah. work, and I used to go see him speak in Sedona. I'm just cool. he's my all time guy. Yeah. You know, very pragmatic. Definitely. Uh, down-to-earth sort of teacher, but very, very profound. And on his scale of consciousness, he has all of these different emotional states. Yes. And 
at the very low low state, um, which which you basically have like a very similar version. Well, this is of Abraham. Here. This is Abraham. This is the right. emotional guidance scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I came across this and I was like, oh shit, this is somewhere else. This is so cool because yeah. it was so freeing to me to find that. On well, perhaps you could explain it. I mean, I have it here, and I want to. I want to kind of hear your well, your the, take the on it because it's so profound. The simplicity is that we think that we need to like you know be in joy to to be feeling better, but it's actually you could be in despair and then move up to anger, and anger is a better vibration than despair, and then you could potentially move into jealousy, and jealousy is a better vibration than anger. And then you could move into boredom and boredom is a better vibration than jealousy, right? So it's not that feeling bad is bad. It's that when we're feeling bad, if we can reach for the next best feeling or the next best thought. And that reaching is a very proactive way of guiding ourselves up the scale. You know, what's really interesting about this, and I just remembered this, is when I first found the Hawkins scale, which is very similar to this. So on his, the lowest would be apathy. Yeah. Because then it's just like, what am I doing? You don't even give a fuck enough to right. get pissed. Right. If you can get up to anger, there's at least some momentum behind that. Yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so on and so on. But I realized, when I, and I forgot about this until now, but when I was looking at that, it's very much correlated to the 12 steps. Yeah. The 12 steps sort of take you through those various levels of being and experiencing to a higher and higher place where ultimately you're in unconditional love and service yeah. at the 12th step, you right? It. Yeah. But we first have to start out, It we start out, many of us in apathy and shame, you know, we hitting a bottom, whatever your bottom is. And then you get up to being pissed off about your circumstances. Yeah, it's a and better vibration. Could, right? yeah. And that gives you energy that catapults you maybe to step three like of willingness, and, right? Mad and smoking cigarettes to become willing. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. I just, I find that to be such a useful thing. And I'm so glad you put it in your book for people that might not find it in, you know, someone as obscure as David Hawkins. Yeah. Because I think the spiritual bypass tendency is like, oh, I'm angry. I'm supposed to be an unconditional totally, love. Totally, totally, totally. That's what <laughs> like, was the point of putting that in there. Right? Yes, sir. And, you, and then you feel like a loser because you're like, I know I should be loving, right. but I'm resenting the hell out of this person. Right. So how do I get you know right. get through that? You. So I I'm, I just love that when I found it. I was like, oh man, I, we have to talk about that. So right. I guarantee anyone that reads your book, when they get to that, I'm going to tell you what page it's on. Oh, no, it's, it's, on, on, a, it's on that page. Oh, it's on a different the, the page in the real the, book. The hardcover is like different, different pages. Okay, well, it's called the Emotional Guidance Scale. Yeah. Find it in there. And it's extremely helpful. That that whole concept helped me so much. I was really stoked to see that you did that. Um, what's your morning routine like? I know that you're a meditator and you know you practice your kundalini. What would you say to someone whose morning routine is roll over and open Instagram? Don't do it. Don't do it. That's why it's so good to put your phone in another room, turned off, get an old school alarm, and that's it. Or have a child. And <laughs> my, yeah. my alarm is called Oliver. Uh, I don't wake up to an alarm anymore. He literally wakes me up at 6.30 on the dot. And um, I, yeah, I, I often will wake up a little bit before him and I'll do a meditation. Um, if I don't get to that meditation, my husband and I will have a routine where he does the bottle. I meditate. I go downstairs and he will go meditate. So we kind of switch off in the morning. Uh, God bless any single mother out there that doesn't have that connection, that have that have that partner. God bless. I don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm sending so much love and mad respect to the single moms out there. And then I make breakfast for my son after his bottle. I make him. I make him uh, butter eggs. He loves butter eggs. Oh, yum. <laughs> uh, and and that's my current morning routine. It's been different over the years. 
but I, do, I practice transcendental meditation. Um, I do Kundalini, of course, but but TM is my my devotional practice daily, twice a day. And what would be the folly in just what would what would your life look like if your morning routine was like I'm going to get up and look at my numbers and get on email? And, no, it sucks. It's a terrible day. How does that set you up and negatively for those people that are very proactive? It's and a terrible be successful? day. I mean, it's just like energetically, you're now you you didn't get your give yourself an opportunity to to wind up, you know, to rev up. Uh, you are immediately going into something, you know, comparison, judgment, attack, separation. It's, it's, it's a terrible way to start your day. No good. Back when we were talking about forgiveness, I wanted to divert to something and I forgot until now. <laughs> and I was recently, this weekend, I was at a seminar with John Gray up in the Bay Area. And um, <laughs> he was telling us how many times he's been sued just for mm. just libel bullshit. Yeah, he has been sued a lot. And he said yep. to fork out all this cash. And, yeah. you know, well, according to him, there's three sides to every story, but right. he, he was innocent, you know? And so he said, well, when you're um, the brighter your light, the more mosquitoes yeah. gather. And I know that you've been, I don't follow like online drama much, mm. but I'm aware of you and I, you know, people like you that are kind of in the same realm yeah. as I, and uh, there'll be periodic like troll attacks and just people turn against you and accuse people of all kinds of weird shit, especially in this really mm. bizarre PC culture that we live yeah. in where you almost can't say anything without somebody being offended. Yeah. Um, how do you psychologically and practically deal with internet trolls and just basic social media I don't, drama I don't around look you? At it. I don't, I don't know it's there. Uh -huh. I, um, if I see it, like if I come across it, I forgive and delete straight up. Um, I call it block and bless. Right. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I have my team looking out and they don't tell me anything unless it's like, you know, genuinely something we need to address. Yeah. Have you had anything happen? That's... In the book, I write about something where um, these, I went on this, my girl, my, one of my, my assistant called me and she's like, oh my God, the, 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 this Facebook page is blowing up with negative hate on you. And they were like going off on me. Um, what was their gripe? What had you? What they just thought? didn't. They just didn't like me. I mean, they're just literally like. They, one one of the things this woman said was, um, she wrote a book called Spirit Junkie. Isn't junkie a bad word? And sending out a negative message for addicts. Like she didn't read the book. Like she didn't know that's my book on sobriety. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. So it was it was just a bunch of bullshit. But like there was like 30, 40 people like wait like what you know getting in on it and being like, oh, finally someone's saying how they really feel about Gabby Bernstein. She's an asshole. You know. Um, and so I got really hooked into it. You know, 40 people is not a lot in the internet, but it feels like a lot, right? Or one feels like a lot. And so I was getting really into it. And then I um, I was really into it and I was really upset about it. My husband kind of like pulled me aside that night and was like, what is going on with you? And I'm like, I'm just so upset about this thing. And he said, stop focusing on all these haters and start focusing on like the thousands of DMs that you don't even know how to get to on your phone and let me teach you how to get to them. So he taught me how to find my DMs. And I was like, whoa, you guys have been here all this time. And so I spent like five days just like DMing and writing people back and telling my Instagram story that I was gonna DM everybody back. And I just got so into the service and so much into the joy. And then at 5 a.m. I woke up one morning and I was still feeling the negativity of things. So I went on my DM, you know, just to be of service. And I saw a young woman on there and she was DMing me saying, listen, Gabby, I'm, um, I was sober for two years. I just went out and I want to kill myself. And so we started going back and forth, back and forth. And this is 5 a.m. for me, probably like 3 a.m. for her. She'd like crashed her car, like literally all this had just happened. Oh, wow. And we were just back and forth, back and forth. And then finally we got on the phone, chatted it up with her, helped her get back into to her program. She's still sober. Wow. Yeah. Damn. 
Yeah. So you're. So I thank those those haters. Right. They put me back into service. Yeah, I I don't think that I'm famous enough to really get effed with, but there are times where I'm pretty irreverent. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've been well behaved in our Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. because it's just our vibe where it's Mm -hmm. it's pretty above board. Mm -hmm. But at times I go off on a tangent. I might Mm -hmm. talk about something that's not PC and. Mm Every once in a while, I do get someone who's super triggered and mm-hmm. wants, well, honor their trigger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, and I know what it comes from. And most of the time, I am just like, whoa, I'm not going to engage. Don't but, engage. But there are times when I have to admit it's a little tempting. Um, the other day, I kind of, I didn't like fully engage, but I did just make a point. And someone had made a comment about how my podcast lacks diversity because I'd done one episode where I interviewed, God forbid, a white male. Mm. And um, and he's like a buddy of mine. He's a young kid. Mm, and we, mm, we're shooting mm. the shit. And it's mm. like, it's a bro-y conversation because mm. we're fucking bros. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, But you know that's not true. So if you well, don't... Well, yeah. no, but that's the thing. But, you know, it's like that ego need in me to defend myself. So yeah. I actually went through my feed and I was like, holy shit, my guests are more than 50% female. Yeah. So there's your diversity. I mean, yeah. I think it's probably more like 60. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I've had as many people of color on my show, but that's mm-hmm. not for any reason. That's just, if they're there, they're there. Mm-hmm. I don't even think about what gender someone is or what, yeah, no, you're just how much pigment they have in their skin. I'm looking for someone who has a point of view that I'm interested in sharing. But it was a little bit triggering because I was like, I'm being fucking falsely accused. Like, <laughs> I don't even think about that kind of shit, you know? And mm-hmm, so I posted mm-hmm. something like on my um, Instagram stories and, you know, of course, a hundred people are like, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. We're with you. And then, you know, there was 10 people that were like, no, they're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so it was a lesson for me and like, oh man, because when, when and if, you know, God willing, I get to a Gabby Bernstein level and I have a bunch of books and I'm really very high profile. Um I don't want to ever be in a position where I'm bothered by that or where I engage in feed negativity totally. just because someone's internal pain is so great that they now feel the need to spread that pain. Totally. Yeah. You don't know? just disengage. So you you're pretty good at that. You're just like, oh, I'm not. Look, when I'm being called out for something that's true, I will address it. If I'm being called out for something that is not, is false, I will pray and walk away. Right. Have there been situations where someone's talked shit about you and you've reflected and gone, you know what? They're right. I'm going to work on that. Yeah. And if so, what, what did you find? Um, you know, recently I had a big talk in New York last two weeks ago and the, like a lot more people came to the door than we expected. Like we had, we, it was oversold pretty much is what happened. And we didn't have enough volunteers. And this is my, this is my excuse part of it. But, you know, it was like kind of a shit show at the book line. I was exhausted and, and uh, the line was a disaster. And I just kind of got up and was like, everybody, like, let's organize this. You know, just kind of like lost my shit because I was out of control. I was out of control. It's like, everybody, we just got to fix this, you know? And like, you know, we have to make the pictures faster or whatever. I was just an asshole. It's a total asshole. And wasn't looking people in the eye and just was like, you know, tired and not showing up. And it's a privilege to sign books. It's a privilege to have people that want to wait online for you to sign their book. And I was an asshole. And I woke up feeling so much guilt. And I received a few emails from people being like, I can't believe that you did that. Like, I, oh, I, like I drove like five hours to see you. Like, how could you not be Gabby Bernstein, you know? And I was like, I assure you I am. And I will make this right. I wrote a blog about how to apologize. And I apologized. Interesting. What's your advice when you owe an amends? What do you think is a great way to go don't, about don't that? Don't make any excuses. To just don't defend yourself. 
say I'm sorry. Fuck that. Simple. <laughs> Some of your answers sometimes are short and I'm like, well, what else? But that's all that needs to be said. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So next thing I want to get into is something you spent a lot of time in and end of your book and that's mm-hmm. gratitude and appreciation mm-hmm. as being the antidote for that feeling of lack and mm-hmm. and you know sense of not having what you need so yeah. how does gratitude and appreciation play out in your life and what's the difference between those two if there is one the the practice of appreciation helps us create more of what we want so when we make a commitment to focus on what is thriving in our life it redirects our focus off of what's not thriving and it creates a different energy that we will be backed by. And it feels good. So if you can begin your day with appreciation, you know, if you have a partner, wake up and say, I appreciate you for this, appreciate you for this. You know, five minutes of that would really kick off the day. Uh, you know, for instance, my, my, husband, my husband had a, a stomach bug before we came out here and he missed the weekend. And I've been so worried about him. Like, you know, you're dehydrated and drink more water. And, you know, you need to get it. Like LA has IV drips. They'll come to the house, the IV drip, you know. He's like, back off lady. And I got on the phone with him this afternoon. I was like, okay, Gabby, practice what you preach. Like stop focusing on the negative, you know? And I got on the phone with him and I said, you're doing so much better. Like, I'm just, I can't, I'm so proud that you even got on the plane you're doing so, you sound so much better. It's so awesome that you can take these work calls. And I heard in the moment, his, his voice just lit up and he's like, I am feeling better. I'm doing better every day. You know, it's just like, boom, appreciation. What's working? Do you guys have that as a regular practice where you- We do. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's funny. Sometimes that's, we forget. That's something that uh, John Gray was talking about this weekend, actually. That's yeah. a great practice to do when you're in a relationship is to express your appreciation. Especially, I'll just, any ladies listening, <laughs> if you want to keep a man happy, yeah. just constantly tell him what a good job he's doing. Yeah. We actually really need that. All you want to do is make the woman feel good and serve and, you know, and, and be, and be in that place of, you know, let them know how good they are. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, everyone needs that, of course, but I think that's really the secret sauce with us guys. At least mm-hmm. I can speak for myself. Uh, well, listen, man, I think, I think I've covered everything that I want to cover with you. I could... I- Probably. I think you're so cool. This day has been excellent. I started my day with Mani, um, Maria Menunez, uh, Menunos from she was formerly on uh, E or something. She's awesome, oh, cool. super spiritual. I walked out. I was like, "You're my friend." Here and this I is am on now like network you. TV and stuff. No, she has her own podcast. Oh, okay. oh podcast. Oh, okay. And here I am with you, and I'm like, "You're my friend." I have picked up friends along the way today. Oh, cool. I've picked up new friends. Along yeah, you the got way one today. sitting right next to you, and I got cookie. It looks like she's like about to throw up. <laughs> Don't throw up on me. <laughs> as long as she's pointing the other way. Not on my shoe. When she does that licking thing, it's sometimes an indicator. <laughs> Please, Cookie. That would be a great end to the show. Yeah, do not <laughs> puke on the podcast, sweetie. You got this. All right. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have profoundly influenced your life that our listeners might be able to go also learn from? Dr. Wayne Dyer is still my teacher. I channel him to write these books and I channel him when I speak. Uh a big one, big one. Um, Marianne Williamson was an excellent teacher for me because she really showed me showed me the type. You know, showed me she she was an example of what I wanted to create for a new generation. So I'm very very deeply grateful to her for that. Um, and my son Oliver, my greatest teacher. I bet that's no a good one. Yeah, yeah, I think you're the first guest out of 250 that's mentioned their kid. Oftentimes people say my grandmother, my yeah, uncle, my, my mom. Child. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good one. And where can people find you? Website, social media, et cetera. 
<laughs> GabbyBernstein.com or at Gabby Bernstein. Cool. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on the show. Thank you. Good to get to know you today. So good. We made it through 2019, folks. Thanks for joining me on this amazing, long, strange trip of a year <laughs> that it's been. And uh, what better way to take it out than with a conversation featuring Gabby Bernstein, a true light of a human being, so inspiring, so down to earth, so funny. And we just had so much in common. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was one of those ones where I think um, halfway through it, I thought, why haven't we had this conversation sooner? I think we even mentioned that in the episode. It's been a while since I recorded this, but we're like, uh, why aren't we homies? So always fun to sit down with someone you don't know and just have so much in common. And I hope that uh, you as a listener also found some value there. I trust that you did. And speaking of value, as we bring this year to a close, one of my greatest discoveries of this year, no joke, has been peak tea. These guys make the most potent, healthy, powerful, and what I really like about it is easy to use tea. I've never been a big tea drinker because it's just a pain in the ass to make it, honestly. And I know I sound like a big baby, but just sitting there waiting for it to steep and how long and I don't know. It's just, you know, where do you set the wet, gross tea bag when you pull it out of the cup? The whole thing. It's just too much drama. I mean, I'm part English too, so it should be in my blood, but uh, the making of the tea and dealing with it, not so much. Um, And also just, I don't know if I'm getting enough bang for my buck when I drink tea. It's like, is there enough medicine in there? Well, peak tea makes this instant tea that come in these little packets that's highly concentrated. It's like six times the normal antioxidant profile of any other regular tea. It's just absolutely delicious. And I'll tell you what, um, little secret here, you might've heard me talk about it before, but uh, every guest that comes over gets their choice of coffee, which is going to be um, a Keon coffee, Ben Greenfield's company, or if I have any in stock, I burn through it so fast. My favorite coffee in the entire world, Zen Bunny Biodynamic Beans. They're very, they're rarefied. So I don't always have those, but those two coffees are great. But if people don't drink coffee, I give them the peak tea. And literally every guest is like, oh my God, this is the best tea I've ever had. I swear to God, because it is, it's amazing. So I'd really like you guys to support them. They're a great company, top to bottom. Uh, the way that they deal with their traitors, uh, not traitors like someone that is a Judas and stabs you in the back, um, their free trade, you know, that whole tip. Very good to all people, employees, and the planet. Very high vibe company. You can find them at peaktea.com. That's P I Q, peak, uh, wait, P I Q U E, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to try that again. P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A, peak T, but peak spelled P-I-Q-U-E, peak T. And you'll get 10% off of there if you use the code Luke Story. It does not apply to their special fermented puer tea due to limited quantity, but all of their other tea is fantastic. And as I said, it's super strong, so a little goes a long way. Save 10% off at peaktea.com using the code Luke story. And then uh, let's not forget to thank our, our buddies over at beekeepersnaturals.com, the best bee products in the world. I use these every day as well. And you can find those uh, at beekeepersnaturals.com. Use the code lifestylist to save 15%. If you want to protect your eyes, your melatonin and your health, you want to wear blue blocking glasses all the time at night, straight up. That's it. There's just, it's non-negotiable. Don't F around folks. You want to start 2020 right block that blue light using blue blocks 
That's blueblocks.com, spelled B-L-U-B-L-O-X. And you can save yourself 15% off over there with the code Lifestylist. So those are our three sponsors. It's really important, you guys, that you support the sponsors because they are what make this show possible. As I continue to travel and increase the quality of my videos and production in general, it's really important that we keep our sponsors happy so they keep making me and my whole crew, which is growing all the time, as you might imagine, happy. I just hired uh, someone to help me with my recordings. I finally put on my big boy pants there and ponied up some cash uh, so that I could have someone to run my cameras and the audio equipment and things like that because I've been doing it all by myself uh, for the past three years, which is totally insane. If you see, if you ever watch me on Instagram live or doing my stories, you see how many devices I have going. It's like, I think six recording devices for every interview at this point. And so that requires a lot of help and help costs money, y'all. And how we bring the money in is by supporting our sponsors. So I want to thank you so much. If you don't want to spend any money and you don't like buying health products, man, it's all good. All you have to do is just share this episode with a friend. It's super, super easy. And at least on the uh, Apple podcast app, it's ridiculously easy to share it. Now you click on the bottom right, gives you a menu of options you click share and then you can just text it email directly from there or you can copy the link and put it wherever you want to put it put it where the sun don't shine for all i care just put it somewhere the lifestylist podcast needs to be heard we're helping a lot of people and when i say we i do mean we because without you there would be no show so thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for joining me on this incredible journey in 2019 and you just wait until you see what I've got in store for you in 2020. Not only do I have Shaman Durek as our first guest of the year, I've got John Wineland coming back to the show. I've got Joe Dispenza coming. I've got some insane new discoveries when it comes to consciousness exploration. Let me just put it that way. I'm going to just leave you thinking about what that might mean. But uh, you know me, man. I'm on the fringes just discovering the coolest shit all the time. I'm so blessed to be able to do so and even more blessed to be able to discover the experts behind some of these amazing technologies and inventions and bring them to you. So 2020 is the year of success. I'll also be working on a book. I'll be putting together a couple retreats, uh, which you know you'll be hearing a lot about. And uh, I'll be speaking at a couple events. I've got Paleo Effects April 24th through 26th in Austin, Texas. I'll be speaking at Meet Delic in LA, May 2nd and 3rd. So uh, this is our year, guys. I'm really excited about uh, what's to come and especially what I have in store for you here on the podcast. So thanks again for listening. And I'll see you in the new year.